prophesy against the prophets of Israel who prophesy, and to those who prophesy out of their own heart, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, woe to the foolish prophets who follow their own spirit and have seen nothing. O Israel, your prophets are like foxes in the desert. You have gone up into the gaps, you, uh, you have not gone up into the gaps to build a wall for the house of Israel to stand in the battle on the day of the Lord. They have envisioned futility and false divination, saying, Thus says the Lord, but the Lord has not sent them. Yet they hope that the word might be confirmed. Have you not seen a futile vision? And have you not spoken false divination? You say, The Lord says, but I have not spoken. Therefore, thus says the Lord, because you have spoken nonsense and envisioned lies, therefore I am indeed against you, says the Lord. My hand will be against the prophets who envision futility and who divine lies. They shall not be in the assembly of my people, nor be in the written record of the house of Israel, nor shall they enter the land of Israel. Then you shall know that I am the Lord God, because indeed, because they have seduced my people, saying, Peace, when there is no peace, and one builds a wall, and they plaster it with untempered mortar. Say to those who plaster it with untempered mortar that it will fall. There will be flooding and rain, and you, O great hailstones, shall fall, and the stormy wind shall tear it down. Surely when the wall is fallen, will it not be said of you, Where is the mortar with you, which you plastered it? Therefore, thus says the Lord God, I will cause a stormy wind to break forth in my fury, and there shall be a flooding rain, my anger and great hailstones in fury to consume it. So I'll break down, a wall, break down the wall that you have plastered with untempered mortar and bring it down to the ground so that its foundation will be uncovered. It will fall and you shall be consumed in the midst of it. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. Thus will I accomplish my wrath on the wall and those who have plastered it with untempered mortar. And I will say to you, the wall is no more, nor those who plastered it. That is, the prophets of Israel who prophesy concerning Jerusalem and who see visions of peace for her when there is no peace, says the Lord. Father, we just ask the same Lord God of Israel, Lord, the same mighty Jehovah, Lord, the same uh, King of Kings, Lord, that you would speak in our midst tonight. Lord, that you would open our eyes, open our ears. Lord, we want to hear from you, but we want to walk in your truth. And Lord, we want to walk in your love and walk in your light. Lord, we know that you reveal these things that we would be used by you, uh, Lord, just to shine that light to others. And we pray, Lord, that we would have a deeper understanding. As Pastor Loran said, we can see a verse many times and always learn something new. And such is true. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we looked last week, and again, by way of review, if you took notes last week, we looked at three things. Well, actually, I was going to look at three things. I only got to two, and it's a total of four. So let me reread them to you so you have the four of them. I typically do things in three, but we only got through two of them. Foolish, failing, false, and furious, and I didn't even get through the first, uh, the first two. I knew it would take us at least two weeks, but we'll look again briefly. The foolish aspect of these prophets, then the failing aspect of these prophets, the false aspect of these prophets, and then furious is God's response to their behavior. And so we, we understand that they're foolish first and foremost. The Lord is the one that calls them this. Uh, you and I, by the way, the scriptures, we're not allowed to go around and call people fools. You feel like it a lot of times, I know. 
but really the God, God is the one that actually defines who's a fool and who's not. Uh, now, what we can say is such and so line of thinking is foolish, but calling people a fool is really, I leave that up to the Lord. But I will say, you know, what you're saying is very foolish. That is a foolish thing, just like you would tell your kids. Now, that's very foolish. Very foolish. It's two degrees outside. You're going to want to wear more than what you're wearing. You know, whatever it may be. But to call someone a fool, we leave that to the Lord. But he says in verse 2, these prophets who prophesy out of their own heart, we talked about why that is such uh, such a problem. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. We can't trust our heart. Uh, I gave the analogy that, uh, you know, I, I don't have the best eyesight right now. All of you look like blurry little round, you know, things in the distance. If I put my glasses on, I can see you more clearly. But uh, even if I put my glasses on, I still need a new prescription. I know that, but I also know the bill that I'm going to get charged by lens crafters, whoever else it is. And so I've just kind of said, oh, I'm fine with this for now. But again, that's why when I ride by a paper bag and mistake it for a dog until I get closer, <laughs> you know how that is. Looks like we have good vision. Same with our heart. Our heart will deceive us. Our heart is not the plumb line. The scriptures is the plumb line. <clears throat> Those of you that have ever done construction, you know what a plumb line is. It hangs straight. And a matter of fact, uh, if you've been in construction, you know the little chalk ones that have, uh, it has the plumb line, has the weight on the bottom, and then you can actually pluck the little string and you get a straight line. Uh, eyeballing it doesn't work, does it? Because sometimes the shape of a building will deceive you. It, you think the whole building is actually... Uh, is actually level, it's not, and things like that, or the floor may be. So our heart will deceive us, and the Scripture tells us, uh, stay in Psalm 1, stay in Psalm 119, and you'll see in both those chapters in the Psalms uh, that the Lord wants us to use the Word of God to protect us from deception, to protect us from our own thinking. And the Lord says in verse 3 here, Woe to the foolish prophets who follow their own spirit, and they see nothing. Uh, they're not seeing what God has shown them. Uh, they're seeing things that they're making up. They're making it up as they go along. Uh, the good news for all of us, you know, whether you're a parent teaching your kids or whether you're a pastor teaching a church, if you follow the Word of God, you never have to make it up as you go. You don't have to make it up. You simply deliver the mail, right? Right? You're not making the mail. You know, the postal man, he doesn't make the mail. He doesn't lick the envelopes and put them all together. Someone gives him a box of stuff and says, go deliver this. Um, but I've already delivered them 40 L.L. Bean magazine catalogs this year. Deliver them another one, right? You wish they would stop bringing the junk mail, but you still get it anyway. Their job is to simply deliver it. And that's what the Lord has asked us. As parents, we're supposed to teach the truth to our kids. As pastors, we're supposed to teach the truth and not envision our own things from our own heart and our own spirit, which doesn't work. God is the one that designed us individually. God is the one that designed marriage. God is the one that designed Israel. God is the one that designed the covenants. Name anything that comes from heaven, God's the one that is going to see how it works best. How Israel would be blessed is for them to function the way God asked them to do not come up with a new set of rules and envision their own way. We talked about back in the Garden of Eden, 
Adam and Eve were given very specific instructions. After a while, Satan comes along and says, you know, those instructions don't sound right, do they? Did God really mean what he said? I mean, and really, don't you know that God's hiding from you, that you would be just as wise as him? And so they begin to ponder the enemy's lies. And instead of taking what the Lord had said and believing it, they decided they would come up with something from their own heart that felt right. You know, the scriptures say, there is, the scriptures tell us, there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end is what? Death. The, things can seem right and be really, really wrong, right? I think about this deadly Ebola virus. You know, sometimes, uh, early on, I'm sure that before the, the outbreak, got, some people might have thought, I just have flu symptoms. Might seem like the flu, but it's a whole lot worse than the flu, isn't it? And as a matter of fact, the symptoms are very, very similar. It may seem the same, but it's not the same. You might, it might seem like our way is going to work, but the Lord says it won't. And these prophets, they're foolish. They're making things up. They're coming up with their own way. They're not hearing from the Lord, but they're telling people that, uh, that they have heard from the Lord. And then we move from their, their foolishness, which again comes from uh, the heart itself. Anytime we're not following the Word of God, which is our compass, we are going to say foolish things, do foolish things, lead ourselves astray, but also leave, other, leave others astray. And then in verse 5, and this is where we were at uh, when we left off, um, you have not gone up into the gaps to build a wall for the house of Israel to stand in battle on the day of the Lord. And if you were here with us last Wednesday, there was three things, and I'll renumerate them uh, one more time, uh, three things that are really, really good stuff for all pastors, shepherds, those that are in Christian leadership uh, to really know. And certainly these apply to those of you, uh, again, leading and discipling your own household as well. And these three things the Lord enumerates for us, one, if we really are faithful as opposed to failing. They were failing in this. And if you're taking notes under the title failing, but if we were faithful, we would be doing these three things. We'd be going into the gaps. We would be building a wall. And number three, we'd be standing in battle. This is what faithful shepherds, faithful pastors, faithful leaders, faithful parents, faithful Sunday school teachers, whatever, whatever, jurisdiction God has given you to be a leader, to be someone that disciples others, to be someone that is leading other people, and all of us have some sphere of influence, we should be doing these. We should be filling gaps. You know, we're not, we're not here to fill every single gap. God hasn't even gifted me to fill certain gaps. He's not gifted you to fill certain gaps. But when the whole body of Christ is working together, he will put different people filling different gaps. Amen? Isn't that good that some people uh, will fill gaps that you're not fit for? But all of us should be looking for gaps to fill, saying, Lord, where do you want me to fill those gaps? And then building a wall. And then standing in battle. Now, specifically, he's speaking to prophets. And they, uh, again, spiritual leaders, shepherds, pastors, leaders, have a very, uh, a very, very high accountability with the Lord. The scriptures tell us that not many should even desire to be teachers because we will 
be judged by a more strict standard. Did you guys know that? That the scriptures tell us that if you really desire to be a teacher, which by the way, uh, some, some really desire, boy, from a young childhood, you know, they just had a calling and felt desire. And then you have others, and this, I was one, I didn't desire to be a pastor. I didn't desire to be a Christian leader. I did not desire those things. God came and found me. I got saved, and he's telling me this is what I want you to do. And I'm saying, I'm sure there's someone better for this. And, you know, I'm sure that there's someone else that's not doing what I'm doing that would really be really fitted for this. Now, once I answer the Lord's call to that, I do desire, uh, I do desire to do the things that God wants me to do. I do want to do them exactly the way he's asked me to do them. I do want to, uh, you know, if I'm going to be judged by a higher standard, Lord, I do want to do those things according to your standard. I want to make sure that I hit the mark uh, that the Lord has called me to hit. And so we've been given this responsibility, uh, anyone in the ministry, to do these three things. And we looked at the first one. We know that filling gaps, um, I referenced to you in uh, Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 30, the Lord actually uses this same language specifically in a verse that's very sad. And he said, So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it, but I found no one. That's God speaking. That God looked across the land of Judah and he was looking for a man. Now, there was a man. Jeremiah was such a man. Um, and I don't know exactly what the Lord means, but at some level, he was looking for another man, <laughs> someone who could stand, who would stand in the gap, who would fill a gap, that he should not destroy the land. And you think about our own country. Our own country's in peril in many ways. Uh, I, I, I was just thinking about, you know, with all the things that are going on in Houston, uh, you know, coming out and attacking uh, you know, pastors and churches, but I thought about all the other things that, that would be normative not in a city like Houston. They have all the same drug use, children that are foster kids, poverty, homelessness, domestic violence, drunkenness, drug use, gang violence. Uh, all kinds of, I mean, just tons of things. And that's not even include just people's general health issues, uh, joblessness, unemployment, all kinds of issues. And then that's not even the whole, that's not even everything. That's not even including, you know, you've got to be concerned about the kind of terrorist attacks that Boston saw, that New York City saw, right? That doesn't even include out of the blue. And nobody was talking about Ebola in 2013, Right? That came out of nowhere. And so any of these things, all of our nation is always on a thin sheet of ice. It doesn't even count all the other things, our trillions of dollars of debt. I, uh, you know, the unfunded liabilities are actually far beyond our debt. Uh, it's, a, it's over $100 trillion. And you look at all these different things and you realize that uh, we, we are in peril. And the Lord is looking for men and women who will stand in the gap that the land should not be destroyed, and that we would be the ones that would stand in the gap. Now, I read, um, I wanted to uh, read again, since it was uh, not recorded last week, and I'll read again just for you, and some of you may not have uh, caught this last week, but I'm going to reread 
um, the article from, uh, this was uh, in Christian News Network, August uh, 12th, and this was the uh, Barna study, and this is about where we left off. So I'm going to reread it, and this is very important to know that even in our time, uh, we, have a lot of, we have a lot of pastors and shepherds who know a lot of the truth, but are they willing to stand in the gaps? Are they willing to build a wall of protection? Are they willing to stand in the battle? Because we know that the enemies, we know that the people that are following the enemy are willing to get in the battle, right? A lot of people uh, that are willing to do evil and they don't care if they are caught they don't care if they're gunned down in the commission of a crime. They don't care if they have beheaded an entire village in, in the Middle East. They don't care what. They're, they're in the battle. And whether you want to get in the battle or not, they don't, they're in the battle. They're moving forward. And, uh, you know, it, that was the way it was in World War II. Um, it didn't matter if the rest of Europe wanted to get in a war. Adolf Hitler says, you're going to be in a war. You're either going to get mowed over by my tanks, or you're going to be battling. But if you decide you don't want to be in it, like France just went ahead and said, you, you have the country, right? But Poland, you know, if you study history, any of you study history, any of you study history, there are plenty of people out there that don't care if you want to be in the battle or not. I, I'm, I, I'm sitting this one out. Fine. This, your one easy target will just roll right over you. But the scriptures tell us that our weapons are mighty in pulling down stronghold. Are we going to take the truth, take what God's given us? Are we going to use the voice and the power of the Holy Spirit, or are we going to shrink back? Well, this is, uh, George Barna had been studying, and again, I know that some of you heard this, but I, I want to go over it one more time. He had been studying pastors in America for two full years, doing a lot of research, and then he came out with the findings uh, either in July or August. This article was published in August, so it's very new. It's one of the newest Barna studies. Uh, you're not seeing it published all over the place, and again, I think I know why, because if it's published all over the place, it kind of flies in the face of some of the very large ministries uh, that really have uh, some explaining to do themselves. And so this is what he found. Most pastors believe that the Bible addresses the current issues of the day, but few speak about them from behind the pulpit, according to a recent study from a prominent research organization. George Barna was a guest on the American Family Radio program, Today's Issues, uh, on Thursday, where he explained a research project he had been working on the past two years. In his study, Barna's organization asked pastors across the country about their beliefs regarding the relevancy of Scripture to societal, moral, and political issues in the content of their sermons in light of the beliefs, in light of their beliefs. What we're finding is that when we ask them about all the key issues of the day, 90% of them tell us, yes, the Bible speaks to every one of these issues, he explained. Then when we ask them, well, are you teaching your people what the Bible says about those issues? And the numbers drop to less than 10% of pastors who say they will speak to it. Barna's group also polled pastors about what factors they use to gauge whether or not a church is successful. There are five factors that the vast majority of pastors turn to, he outlined. Attendance, giving, 
number of programs, number of staff, and square footage. And by the way, I'm happy to report, I think very little of those things. I do care about attendance in the sense that someday I believe God's going to bring a harvest of souls. As I really, I've, you know, we've seen people getting saved. That I care about. Attendance in heaven, I care about. Um, square footage, I, I, well, that matters only when you run out of it. But as far as just thinking about how much we have. Number of staff, well, I am the only staff, but uh, we've got paid staff. Uh, we've, got, we've got three elders and seven deacons, and these guys all serve voluntarily, and I'm thankful for that. Giving, well, that matters in the sense that I just want you guys to be givers because if you're first fruit givers, God's blessing will be upon you and also for us to reach more people for Christ. But that's about it. goes on. What I'm suggesting is those pastors probably won't get involved in anything controversial. Controversy keeps people from being in the seats. Controversy keeps people from giving money and from attending programs, Barna said. Pastor Chuck Baldwin, a radio broadcaster and former presidential candidate, commented on the study in an article published on Friday entitled, Odds Are Your Pastor is Keeping the Truth from You Instead of Preaching It. He opined that Barna's research shows that most pastors deliberately choose not to speak on the issues of the day, despite knowing that the Bible speaks to them. That 90% of America's pastors are not addressing any of the salient issues affecting Christian people's political or societal lives should surprise no one, he wrote. It has been decades since even a sizable majority, a sizable minority of pastors have bothered to educate and inform their congregations as to the biblical principles relating to America's political, cultural, and societal lives. Please understand this. America's malaise is directly due to the deliberate disobedience of America's pastors and the willingness of Christians in the pews to tolerate the disobedience of their pastor. Nothing more, nothing less, Baldwin continued. When Paul wrote in his own epitaph, it read, I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith, 2 Timothy 4, 7. He did not say, I had a large congregation, we had big offerings, we had lots of programs, I had a large staff, and we had large facilities. It is time for Christians to acknowledge that these ministers are not pastors, they are CEOs. They are not Bible teachers, they are performers, they are not shepherds, they are hirelings, he said. It is also time for Christians to be honest with themselves. Do they want a pastor who desires to be faithful to scriptures, or do they want a pastor who is simply trying to be successful? And I told you guys, you know, I, I left corporate America. I, I was part of corporate America. I understand, you know, all the market-driven aspects that you can apply, but I also understand that the Holy Spirit doesn't work that way. Amen? The Holy Spirit wants us to follow the scriptures, not market-driven data. Um, it's not to say that there are no bi business principles that could ever be useful. Things that I did learn in business have been very helpful to me, and you know, things that, so that. But we use those things as help aids. Where those are not, uh, those are not the driving force of why we do what we do. This is the driving force. If it's the scriptures say it, we need to talk about it. That's why I like going verse by verse to the Bible. I don't have to create any kind of agenda. We're in the book of Luke. If Jesus addresses it in Luke, we're going to talk about it. 
I didn't set the agenda for Ezekiel chapter 13. The Lord did. Because, you know, if you read Ezekiel chapter 13 to someone and just took away any connotation of the Bible, it could be very offensive to some people. Just Ezekiel 13. How dare you say that some shepherds... I didn't say it. God said it. Uh, Not only did he say that uh, they're unfaithful, he said he's going to destroy them. Wow. He must really be upset about that. I'm getting ahead of myself. That's in the last section here. But we looked... uh, we looked at these three sections, and again, it's, it's noteworthy that in our day and time, many men know certain truths. They know what the Bible says. They know what God's already said on the matter, and they've said, I'm not going to say that. Well, why? Because it'll offend some of these folks. Well, who are you trying to please, man or God? Jesus said, don't be afraid of man who can kill the body. Be afraid of the one who can kill and has control over your soul. Now, we're not looking for ways to be offensive. Quite the opposite. We're just looking to fill the gaps that God's asked us to fill. We're looking to build the walls that he says to build. And we're looking to fight in the battle where the Lord's told us to fight. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against what? The wiles of of the devil. The Bible also says that we're not ignorant of Satan's devices. And so that very much applies um, specifically uh, to building a wall. We looked last week um, at filling the gap. I'm not going to have time to uh, turn uh, to Nehemiah chapter 2, but if you remember from Nehemiah chapter 2 verses 12 through 17, by way of review, um, Nehemiah went out and he looked at all the wall conditions. Remember, he went out in the night. He had a few men with him. He went out in the night and he examined and he got a snapshot of where all the gaps were. And he began to plan, how can we begin to address each of these gaps? We talked about how important it was for us to look at, we've got gaps in this church. And and some of them, uh, I wish we could close them tonight. Some of them are discipleship related. Some of them are helping parents with children. Some of them are marriage-related. Some of them are outreach-related. Some of them are evangelism-related. I see those gaps, and we believe that the Lord, and just like you have gaps in your personal life, you haven't given up yet, have you? Does anyone here not have a gap in somewhere in their character or in their life? Of course. We all have them. Matter of fact, as Ray Comfort said, if the world could view every thought you have, you wouldn't want to come out of your house ever again. You know, if the world knew every gap you have in your personal, I thought you were perfect in that area. You're really not, actually. You know, that kind of thing. Oh, yeah, if you knew the half of it kind of thing. We have gaps, and by God's grace, hopefully, we're growing and seeing those. And the same is true in the body of Christ. We have, as shepherds, we have to see the gaps. We have to pray over the gaps. We have to fill them where we can, and we just keep saying God keeps sending more people with, in Nehemiah's case, with a sword in one hand and a trowel in the other, so we fill those gaps. But the Lord wants to know, are we really attempting to do it or not? Because when we go out and just go to fill the gaps, remember Jesus with the feeding of 5,000? He said, you go feed them. They're all looking at each other. How are we going to feed them? We don't have hardly anything. Jesus said, you're going to have to just start passing it out. And when you do, guess who really filled the gap? The Lord. But a foolish shepherd says, it can't be done, so I'm just not going to do it anything. I'm just not going to do anything. It can't be done anyway. 
we're toast. So I'll just not do anything. That's what some of these foolish prophets were doing. They, some of them actually knew some of the things they should be saying, but they said, it won't work anyway, so we'll just tell, we'll just tell other things that will make them happy. Just tell them everything's going to be fine. Don't worry about the holes in the wall. Don't worry about the gaps. Don't worry about the plaster. Don't worry about the mortar. It'll all be fine. Filling the gaps. Sound biblical teaching. Teaching the Word of God. Not compromising the Word of God. And then building a wall. And uh, I will read um, verse 18 from Nehemiah. get there fast enough chapter 2 verse 18 from nehemiah and it said and i told them the hand of the lord my god which is upon me also the king's words he spoke to me uh, so they said let us rise up and build and they set their hands to this good work let us rise up and build and nehemiah uh, remember not only did he examine the state of the walls but then him and those that begin to say yes we will set our hands to work they begin to rebuild the walls. They begin to fill the gaps, but not just fill the gaps, build the wall. Now, what's a wall for? Again, this is about where we, uh, we were leaving off. A wall is for protecting. It's protecting the people from what? Well, from enemies, from wild animals. Now, if you lived in the ancient times, they actually, unlike uh, today, they had even a lot more kind of ferocious wild animals to deal with, um, it, it's, it's not really a good thing if a leopard, which, uh, by the way, I didn't even know this till I was in Israel at, back in 2012, but Israel still has leopards. It's one of the few places outside of Africa and India. India has leopards, and uh, you might know that. India has leopards that actually have come in. Matter of fact, India has a problem with them. Uh, in, in, leopards have come in and killed many children in India. They come right in, they just, you know, you ever seen how high a cat jumps? Leopards, they'll just jump right into a window, grab a child, and pull right back out. And it, and it happens, uh, it, it's happened in, in some of India's cities quite a bit because they can slip into the night right back into the forest. They're very fast, they're incredibly strong, and you want to have high walls in those days. They had lions. They had hyenas, they had uh, leopards, they had wild animals, all these different things to deal with. So you have to deal with enemies, wild animals, criminals. You know, a lot of criminals do their best work at nighttime. The walls have to be up, the gates have to be shut. Nehemiah will end up building the gates. He'll fortify the gates, the bolts and the locks on the door. Uh, All of these things uh, are protective in nature. Uh, People with evil intentions. So When we build a wall, um, our wall is sound doctrine to keep the body of Christ from being misled by false teaching. We're building a wall from being misled. Paul called them wolves that would tear the flock to pieces. Why? Because they bring in destructive heresies. They bring in a light gospel, a watered-down gospel. They bring in a different focus than Jesus Christ. All of these things. It's personality, uh, and uh, popularity as opposed to the person of Christ. All these things mislead people, take them away from the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. So we're to build a wall, a wall of truth. It protects us collectively. It protects us. The wall of truth protects us from, here's a few things, complacency, pride, 
deceitful, lustful temptations, false teaching. That's just a short list of things that the wall of Scripture protects us from. Complacency, apathy, lust, temptation, pride. Uh, These things are uh, constantly coming against us. So we have to have the wall of Scripture. Uh, Those of you that you're not more spiritual because you're here on Wednesday night, I hate to tell you, neither am I. But when possible, you're very wise to be here on a Wednesday night. When I, when I first got saved in 1995, got saved in 95, um, for a while I couldn't go on Wednesday nights. Actually, when I first got saved, I think I've, I've told some of you all my testimony. When I first got saved, I was still in college, and I was still bartending at a restaurant. And I didn't have the faith to give up the bartending job. So I started witnessing to people at the bar. This was not great for management, by the way. They really said, you need to have the faith to get out of here. But, uh, uh, and eventually I did. I left and started working at a health club. And I, but when I first got saved, I was still bartending my way through college. And you know, I'll never forget the one guy I witnessed to. He was the last one at the bar. He came in the next night. He goes, I could not sleep a wink last night. I was thinking about hell. I was thinking about the Bible. You know, all this kind of stuff. Give me another drink, you know. <laughs> but we need we need these kind of Wednesday nights or some midweek thing because our feet are constantly getting dirty out there in the world. There, who's discipling you at work? Not your unsaved coworkers. Who's pouring the scripture into you on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday at the office? not the people you're around. Uh, Who is the one that's really reminding you of what you learned in your devotions on Sunday? Probably not. I I worked in corporate America for 17, 18 years, and, you know, I could count on one hand the times that I had uh, a spiritual discussion in a normal course of a workday. Now, this is not including chances where I got a chance to share the gospel with you. I'm talking about people pouring into me. That doesn't happen. So when we come into the body of Christ, we're pouring into one each other, and that's rebuilding or fortifying that wall. And then lastly, standing in battle. Standing in battle. And we'll close with this one, and then we'll, uh, we'll look at the last two sections next week. Standing in battle. Um, in Nehemiah chapter 4, you might want to turn there. If you get a, Let's turn there. We'll kind of Come to a close and see what Nehemiah says in Nehemiah chapter 4. Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 9 through 14. Actually, let's look at verse 8 too. Um, actually, let's look at verse 1, then verse 8. Too, too good to go uh, to pass over. In verse 1 of Nehemiah chapter 4, uh, somewhere down the road I'm going to do an entire study just on the book of Nehemiah because it's so such a pivotal book uh, in, in building up uh, the body in, in the midst of all the things that come against us. You have your things, I have my things, and then we have things that are common. But in verse 1 it says, but it so happened that San, uh, Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall And he was furious and very indignant and mocked the Jews. Now, this is the response I have written in my Bible. This is the world's response to God's people. That's what's written in my Bible. 
And I have underlined, very, uh, was furious, very indignant, and mocked the Jews. Why? Because Sanballat and Tobiah the Ammonite, these two guys, uh, were determined to stop Nehemiah from rebuilding. And they really, they had designs on slaughtering Nehemiah and the people. And they never wanted to see Jerusalem return to the glory that God had given the city. They wanted to keep them down, destroyed. Now, the world doesn't really want to see the church thrive. The, the world is generally not asking you when you come in on Monday morning, how many people got saved Sunday? How's your Bible study going? Are you growing in the Lord? They don't even know to ask those questions. And then some people are even beyond that. They're flat-out antagonistic, like Sandblot. They're ringleaders against. They're the ones petitioning, and they, they're coming with lawsuits against the Christian baker that you know, does this, or you know, all these things. So very indignant, this world system against God's people. And then look at verse 8. This is another, uh, Satan will use attack, or he'll also use this tactic as well. In verse 8, and all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem. And there it is, create confusion. God is not the author of confusion. Whenever confusion enters in with us, either discord among the brethren, infighting among ourselves, confused about what to do, confused about what, where we should go, how we should spend our time, confused about the mission of the body of Christ, confused about what should the church really be focused on, all these things, the enemy wants to create confusion, wants to intimidate, wants to mock, wants to bring fear. Now, let's, now you see the response, the first response in verse 9. It should be our response. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to God. When we're under attack, when we have doubts, when we have confusion, go to the Lord because he doesn't want us to stay in that place. Yes, we're in a battle. We didn't choose to be in a battle, just like I said in World War II. It didn't matter if you chose to be in the battle or not. You started praying to the God who owns the battle, right, because you... You're still going to have to be in those battles, those seasons. Nevertheless, we prayed to our God because of them. Because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. That's why if you're praying for me and I'm praying for you, we've got to watch day and night. Amen? You've got my back in prayer. I've got your back in prayer. And it's called setting a watch. If we're all praying for one another, everyone is undergirded by prayer. Someone says, I'm not joining in the prayer, then somebody can be left uncovered. That's where everyone has to be in. Verse 10, then Judah said, the strength of the laborers is failing. The right motive, we need to pray, but still they feel they're... You ever been praying and you still feel weak? Of course. The strength of the laborers is failing. No one denies that this isn't the case. There's times when you feel weak. There's times when you as a shepherd don't really feel like leading. You don't really feel like standing in the gap. You don't feel like building walls. And you don't feel like staying in the battle. And God says, those that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. Right? Mount up with wings like eagles. Isaiah. So the Lord wants us to remember that, hey, you're not the first that's felt that way. You won't be the last to feel that way. But you have to stay in the battle. And there's much rubbish and we are not able to build the wall. And our adversaries said, they will neither know uh, nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. Again, more fear. The enemy says, don't bother praying. You're going down anyway. You're, you're losing your strength. 
you're going you're gonna to not survive. But then we see verse 12. So it was when the Jews who dwelt near them came and told us ten times, from whatever place you turn, they will be upon us. So ten times they were warned, they're going to get us, they're going to get us, they're going get, to get us. I love the next section though. Therefore, this is Nehemiah speaking. Nehemiah is filled with the Holy Spirit, a Holy Ghost filled man. Then I positioned the men behind the lower parts of the wall, at the openings, and I set the people according to their families with their swords and their spears and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and the leaders and the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. Isn't that great? It took, no matter what, you're always going to have to have men of God who will stand up and tell everybody, stop being afraid. I played you a little clip of Loran. He's been around a lot longer than I have. Not way longer, but you know, probably 20 years longer than I have. And it's good for all of us to look to people who have stood firm in the faith, who have said, stop being afraid, Set the watch. Everybody grab your sword, which is your Bible, right? Everybody pray over one another. Gather around and stop being afraid of everything that the enemy says because the enemy's already been defeated. Have you not read the end of the story in Revelation? God has thrown Satan into the bottomless pit. John already saw it happen. He saw the future. Isn't that great? It's already happened in eternity future. And so the Lord says... Stand in the battle. And the reason why so many pastors aren't speaking the truth is they have forgotten God won the battle. Completely forgotten. They actually think that the city leaders of Houston have won the battle. They have not. They think that ISIS is, you know, I I don't know that they really think this, but I'm saying that they don't think this consciously, but they begin to walk in that way subconsciously. Does that make sense? We begin to subconsciously walk as if we've been defeated. And the Lord says, you've been defeated only if you give in to the enemy. If you find your strength in me, you can stand in the day of battle. And this is what God called shepherds to actually do, but these guys weren't doing it. God gives us a little picture of when he says you ought to have, this tells us what a faithful shepherd would look like, that a faithful shepherd would be standing in the gaps building the walls, and standing in battle. That the faithful shepherd would have gathered the people and said, look, the dangers are real. Babylon's coming. They really are. And they're ferocious. But if we will repent, if we will put down our idols, if we will put away the things that are an abomination of the Lord, if we will get back to prayer, we'll honor the Sabbath again, we will once again commit our lives to the Lord, and begin to have God give us the help, we can see a stay of his judgment. Instead, they're like, people don't want to hear that. So let them just keep doing whatever they're doing. What message would you like to hear, folks? We would like to hear that everything is going to be great for the next hundred years. Then that, I've prepared a series you're going to love. It's, going to, it's telling you exactly. You tell me... Email me what you would like me to share, and I will share it. Now, Jeremiah wasn't that way. That's why he was stuck in the dungeon. Jeremiah was always a wet blanket 
to everybody. He was always coming around saying, this is not going to work. God will not bless this. So, um, I'm going to have to stop there because we're out of time. Uh, we've got two more sections to go over. False and furious. Um, but I am glad that we were able to catch last week. I, I, I did an abbreviated and then, and then we caught the, the, uh, the rest of section two. So we'll look next week. If you join us next week, uh, we'll finish up next week. I have no doubt uh, because I don't have to review anything. I'm just going to go and we'll look at false and furious. You might say, well, didn't we cover all that? No, there's actually some more things to cover here. We only got uh, a lot of the last, like 10 verses are very repetitive where the Lord is speaking of the judgment to come. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to, that's just God's emphasis. We'll look at that. It's repetitive because God wants us to know how serious the matter is. It may not be so serious to many people, but it's serious to the Lord. And if it's serious to the Lord, it should be serious to who? Us. We need to take it that serious. If God repeats himself again and goes, God, haven't you said you're going to get, you're going to destroy them enough? He wants us to understand that if we're going to compromise the scriptures and we're going to shrink back, uh, that, um, you know, it's not the enemy we have to fear. It's the Lord himself. Amen? Let's close in prayer. And then, uh, again, hopefully next week you'll be with us and we'll cover out the last two sections. Uh, Father, we thank you for this time again in your word. Uh, Lord, we don't, uh, we don't revel in any of these things. We would ask that you would just soften the heart uh, of our own nation. We thank you. There's many. Uh, we do thank you for the many faithful pastors and shepherds uh, in this nation, many in Calvary Chapel, many in other denominations too. But, and Lord, many of them that are definitely saved and, and uh, want, to, uh, want to see people saved, but Lord, yet uh, have shrunk back, not standing the battle or not uh, building a wall and have become fearful of the sandblots around us. Lord, there are many that would cause us to fear, but Lord, we pray that uh, you would deliver the body of Christ and particularly our leaders uh, from being afraid of the enemy. And Lord, when we return to the fear of the Lord, uh, you will give us great strength. And Lord, you said in your word that the righteous would do great exploits. And we pray, Lord, that we would lift the banner of truth as your word tells us to do as well. And so, Father, we uh, just pray for revival in our country, that both in the pews and in the pulpits, there would be a return. You would even use situations like uh, the Houston situation just to be a wake-up call to the church and to realize that being silent is not even protecting us anyway. That, Lord, we must speak the truth and to do it in love, Lord, we don't want to be legalist or uh, holier than thou, but Lord, we want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Bless us, your people, and use us the rem remainder of this week. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You are dismissed. Thank you for.